please pray with me? We thank you, Lord, for your great love for us and your care for your people. Pray as we look at your word today that you would open it up, up to us and that we would hear what you have to say to us as a people in this place on this day. Thank you for this in your name. Amen. Amen. Someone once said to me, pay attention to surprise, because where you're surprised in your life is where God is working. And what they meant was that God's movement is so often unexpected that we don't recognize it in advance. And I have certainly found this to be true. I will tell you, this time last year, I did not know that I was going to be moving to Georgia. That was not a thought that had even entered my mind. So that's one of many surprises that I've experienced in my relationship with the Lord. We are in the season of epiphany, which means revealing or shining. And it's a, a season where we look at passages of scripture where Jesus was revealed in some way that surprised the people around him. For example, we had the reading about the Magi who were you know, Gentile astrologers from a foreign country who were the first to recognize Jesus as king. Later, um, excuse me, last week we had the baptism text where the, the dove came down and said, this is my son, listen to him. That was a surprise for the people there. And in a couple weeks we'll have the uh, story of the transfiguration, which was a real surprise for the disciples who were with Jesus when they got to see him and his glory. So this whole season is about different surprises and revealings that come when, um, when we see the Lord in a new way. So this theme of pay attention to where there's surprise actually runs throughout uh, all of scripture. And what I wanna talk about today comes out of a moment I had when I started reading our lessons for the day. Usually when I know that I'm gonna be preaching on a particular Sunday, the first thing I do is read all of the assigned lessons and just kind of get a feel for how they go together, um, if there are themes that emerge. And when I was reading the Amos passage, our, our Old Testament passage, it started with a phrase that's fairly familiar in the Old Testament, and my mind automatically started filling in with what's usually next after that phrase. So the phrase is, you only have I known of all the families of the earth. God is speaking and he's reminding his people that he's chosen them. And usually what comes after that phrase is something like, I will make an everlasting covenant with you. I will bless you. It could be something like, you are my treasured possession. I will set you in praise and fame and honor high above all the nations around you. So when we uh, came to the Amos reading and I heard that first phrase, you alone of all the families of the earth have I known, my mind automatically went there. But that's not what this reading today said. And I don't know if you caught it because when I first read it, I went, whoa, surprise. It says, you only have I known out of all the families of the earth, therefore I will punish you for all your iniquities. That felt a little bit like a non sequitur, a little bit like whiplash. It's certainly not the affirming, the affirming sort of warm, fuzzy phrases that we normally associate with that. So what does the Lord mean in that uh, sentence, and how does it relate to all the other places in the Old Testament where that phrase is used that does have that connotation of you're special and you're chosen? 
Well, to answer that, we could answer that by going backwards all the way to Genesis and unpacking all of the great covenants of the Old Testament. And honestly, that would probably be a lot of fun. However, that would also probably take as long as the Ohio State-Georgia game on New Year's Eve. So I'm not going to do that today. And instead, I'm going to answer this question by taking a look at our New Testament passage, which was the reading from 1 Corinthians. Of the New Testament communities, our modern American context is most like the community at Corinth. The Corinthians were a wealthy cosmopolitan community. Many of them were educated. Basically, they were the urbane, sophisticated people of their day, and they had many resources. You can read about Paul's visit to Corinth in Acts 18. And uh, I just want to give a hats off to our readers who were prepared to say the name Sosthenes. Sosthenes co-wrote this letter with Paul, and we learn in Acts 18 that he was a synagogue ruler in Corinth who was beaten for his faith in Jesus. So a faithful Jewish leader who came to become a follower of Christ. And in this first chapter, we learn, or in this letter, we learn that even though we call this 1 Corinthians, this is not the first letter to the Corinthians, because Paul's going to reference when I came to you earlier, or when I wrote to you earlier. We simply don't have any of the earlier letters that Paul wrote, but we know that this is a community that he had lived in for about 18 months, a community that he knew well, and a community that loved him and had affection for him and he for them. So in the opening verses of um, this letter, which come right before where we picked up with our reading, Paul greets this community and he reminds them of who they are as a people. He reminds them that they are sanctified in Christ, that they are connected to the global church, that they are an educated community. He says to them that they have been enriched in all speech and knowledge in Christ, and they are full of all the spiritual gifts waiting for Christ's return, and sustained by Jesus until then. They are a people whom Christ has called, and they clearly responded and wanted to be in relationship with Jesus. And as with many of Paul's pastoral letters, these opening verses outline all of the themes that he's going to unpack throughout the entire letter. Basically, he is setting them up to address something that's more sensitive in their community. The Corinthians had two kinds of issues going on that were keeping them from living into this identity that he started out with. So even though they were all of these good things, enriched, gifted, loved, sustained, they also had some major sin issues. There was sexual immorality in the community. They were displaying arrogance towards one another. And they also had some major maturity issues. They had some conflicts over whose gifts were better than the others. They had um, some troubles with waiting for each other at communion. Some people would be hungry and would just go ahead, and then others would be coming in late and would be a little slower. So there are these things that you find in communities, but they get in the way of them being the people of God. And ironically, and this is important, these major problems had their roots in things that were actually good in this community. When the Corinthians first heard about the gospel of Jesus, they understood that they were free in Christ, that they weren't under a legalism anymore. But what they did with that is take that to an extreme and say, well, hey, we have freedom in Christ. We can do what we want. That's not, not good. 
that led them into doing things that were immoral and unhelpful and to justify their sinful behavior in the language of freedom. The Corinthian community also tangibly experienced the Holy Spirit's movement among them, and they had many graces from these gifts. They had words of knowledge in their communities. They had healings. There was prayer in other languages. And the Spirit's tangible presence in a community is good. But what had happened was that it led them to think that they were better than other people because they had these uh, graces. And it also led them to create a hierarchy. This gift must be better than this gift, which means if I have that gift and you have this gift, I must be better than you. And what Paul is saying is, that's not good. That's a misuse of the gifts. So basically, it was their graces that became their conflicts and their pitfalls and highlighted the places of immaturity within their community. So what does that have to do with Amos? And equally, what does that have to do with us? I am so glad you asked. And I'm aware that maybe you didn't, but as preacher, I can pretend you did. In both of these passages, Amos in the Old Testament and Corinthians in the New, we see exactly the same thing. We see the people of God who have been saved by God and are sustained by God being confronted by God. And I'm going to say that again because that's important. We see the people of God who have been saved by God and are sustained by God being confronted by God. And he's confronting them about something that hinders their love relationship with him. Both of these passages are about communal confrontation. These are not addressed to individuals. There are places in scripture where the Lord speaks to us personally about our sins. That's not our passages this morning. These are passages for us as a whole together. And its relevance to us therefore becomes clear. We are the people of God. We have been saved by God. We are sustained by God. And therefore, we need to ask at the start of this new year, is there something the Lord would want to challenge us about? Now, before we delve into that, let me just pause and say, I'm not bringing this word this morning because I know of something specific within the community life of St. Thomas that needs to be addressed. First of all, I'm the newest one here. I wouldn't know if there was. But more importantly, I would let Father Daniel do that. <laughs> But there are two things that I do know. I know that here we preach the lessons assigned for the day, and this is what our lessons have brought us today. And I also have it on very good authority that all of us in this room are broken in some way, and our language for that is that we are all sinful. There is no one righteous, no, not one. That's the Old Testament. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's the New Testament. And this means that we are the same as the Corinthians, graced and sinful. And therefore, we need to hear whatever this passage is saying to us, because we are the people of God, saved by God, sustained by God, but still needing to be confronted by God. And because we're still working out our salvation with fear and trembling, Sometimes God points out to us something to make our lives better, to make our relationships deeper and richer with him and with each other. So I want to say a few words about being confronted by God as a community. First of all, in scripture, confrontation by God always comes out of love and belonging. Hebrews tells us God disciplines those he loves. 
He's not challenging us because he doesn't like us. The Lord challenges us so that we can experience the fullness of life that he wants for us, that we can live into that identity that Paul outlined, which is our identity as well. This is not about condemnation. He's not saying, boy, you guys are really terrible. What he's saying is, I love you so much, and I want you to experience the joy of community that we need to root out the behaviors and patterns that destroy love and affection. Paul's letter, if you go on to read 1 Corinthians, makes this point over and over again. This is what this whole letter is about, is addressing the things in the Corinthians community that were destroying the bonds of community and affection. So what are those issues? Well, as we read today, division. Division as a symptom of the deeper-rooted sense of being better than one another. Division and contempt destroy affection and weaken relational bonds. Arrogance destroys affection. Immoral relationships cause no end of hurt and harm in communities. And these are the things that um, Paul's addressing here, but which all of us, uh, especially if you've been in the church a long time, have had some experience of or have known and have seen the damage these things can do. So the answer to um, this identification of the issues was not to say, let's do away with the gifts. Let's stop letting those be manifested in our community. Nor was it to say, let's stop having freedom in Christ. Let's create a checklist that we can all follow and, and then tell if someone's a real Christian. That's not the answer. No, the answer for the Corinthians and for us is really much more difficult than that because it can't be done in our own strength. It involves awareness, it involves repentance, and it involves a deepening dependence on the sustaining work of God. But before I jump into how to respond when the Lord brings something up, I'd like us just to pause for a minute and consider us, the community of St. Thomas. As I said earlier, we are in epiphany season, the season of revelation, the season of light. Right now, more of you, some of you have more light than others of you. But this is a great season for us to pray together, asking the Lord to shine his light on whatever it is we need to go deeper as a community so that we can more fully live into our true identity as the people of God, saved and sustained by him. Most likely, what he wants to put his finger on is something we don't see ourselves, just as the Corinthians didn't truly see their own dynamics until Paul pointed it out to them. It is also probably the case that it's something that connected to what we consider our strengths. So what I'd like to encourage us to do over the next couple of weeks is just to ask God together, how do you see us? Is there anything that you would like us to shift that would help us live more fully together into our identity as your people? And as we listen together, the Lord will be faithful to show us in his time and in his way. And that might come through morning prayer on Wednesday. That might come through the teachings that emerge. That might come through conversation. But if we're asking and listening in an open-handed manner, he will show us for our good. So that leads us to what's the proper response when being challenged by God, whether as a community or even as an individual. I want to say two things. The first is remember who you are. 
There's a reason that Paul started with nine verses of identity before he jumped in with, I'd like to address these divisions. And the reason for that is that a proper response to God's challenges comes out of a proper understanding of ourselves as the people of God. You and I, we together, are people that Jesus wanted to be in relationship with. We are people that Jesus loved more than life itself. We are people whose sins have already been forgiven. We've already been accepted. We are people who from the moment we wake up to the moment we go to sleep, and even when we are asleep, are watched over and loved by God himself. We can walk by his side so that our lives have meaning and purpose and significance. And the Lord, when, when we remember who we are in the Lord, we understand that he is confronting us because he wants more of that for us, more closeness, more goodness, more joy, more peace, more hope, more of everything good. So first of all, remember who you are. Secondly, remember ultimately that everything, all of it, is about God. As verse 7 of this chapter reminds us, there is an ultimate epiphany, a final revealing of Jesus when he returns in glory. And in that moment of truth, we will see not only our lives, but everything in existence as it really is. There is nothing good in our lives that has not been given to us by God. There's no purpose or decision made apart from God that will stand. This cosmos was made by him and for him, and all things will return to him as he chooses. So if the Lord asks for a course correction, let's give it to him. If he asks us to address a sin issue, let's repent with some help as we figure out how to do that. These are things we can learn and figure out how to do together. But ultimately, if the Lord has a change he wants us to make, let's agree with it. Because ultimately, God is worthy of our all. Just as we sang in that te Deum, which I don't know where Chris is, but I'm loving that te, that te Deum we just sang of worthy, worthy, glory to you, because that is... That's truth, and that's the truth we're going to be singing for all eternity. Remember who you are. Remember it's all about God and agree with it. It's better to choose it now freely than to find ourselves at odds with the king of the universe at the end. I want to close just by summarizing and saying to you, people of God, saved by God, sustained by God, this year... Somehow, somewhere, somewhen, we will be confronted by God because he loves us. When that happens, let us help each other remember who we are and who our God is. Amen.